Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Must See Matches. I'm Kieran Lefort, joined as every week by the Must See Matches maestro, Mark Buckledee. Mark, how are you doing this week? I'm perfectly good, thank you. Excellent, in full working order. Uh, we're joined today by the man with the cleanest bathroom in wrestling Twitter, sponsored as he is by Lech Barisan. Please welcome Eamon Bell. Eamon, nice to meet you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, guys. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I look forward to this podcast every week. And oh, as someone who is inc- Yeah, and as someone who's incredibly vain, uh, now I get to look forward to it even more because I'll be on it. <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to pass this around your family at Christmas. Oh, Christmas, Easter, you know, the... <laughs> The resurrection of Jesus is going to have nothing on me being on this podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, the match we're going to talk about today was a match on Eamon's list. It is John Cena versus Umaga, the last man standing match from the Royal Rumble 2007, uh, 28th of January 2007. I'll start by asking Eamon, what is it about this match that uh, put it on your list? What makes it a must-see match? Um, so like a few, like probably most people doing the list, right? I was trying to think of the happy medium between kind of importance, right? Historical importance. Mm-hmm. And then also just quality, right? Like what's really good. Mm. And this is one of those matches that comes to mind for me that sort of meets both. Um, you've got in it John Cena, right? One of, I would say, the most important wrestlers of all time, the ace of WWE for over 10, like about 10 years, give or take. Mm-hmm. And I think this is at a really fascinating point in his career because you are looking at him. Uh, we're like right bang in the middle of let's go Cena. Cena sucks when this match happens. Mm. And this is one which was sort of so good. It was undeniable. Like even everyone who disliked him kind of through gritted teeth had to say they thought this was like a great match. Um, so I, I think both, right? Like hmm. John Cena is an important person to know about. We are in the month of John Cena, uh, according to WWE. Um, oh, are we? <laughs> yeah, apparently it's John Cena Appreciation Month, which is wonderful timing for this. Ah, has he got um, a new movie out he wants plugging? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so I think... This is really important because John Cena, I think, like his presence here is important. It being this important match in the can in his canon and sort of WWE title matches in general. I would say this is one of the best ones of those. Mm. Um, its type of match, I think, is really important. And then just the match itself is excellent. And I would recommend it just based on the quality of the match itself. So I think it has a lot of different factors going for it. I think you're right. Um Everybody should know who John Cena is, uh, star of screen and ring. Um, I did wonder if there are people who don't know who Umaga is, because he his character uh, faded away and, well, I mean, he passed away in 2009. Um, so very quickly, Umaga was Eddie Fatu, uh, a member of the never-ending Samoan wrestling dynasty. Uh, he's the brother of Rikishi, which makes him the uncle of the Usos and cousin to Roman Reigns and The Rock, etc., uh, he entered WWE in July 2002 with his cousin Matt as three-minute warning, uh, named Jamal and Rosie, respectively. And they would be Eric Bischoff, who was Raw General Manager's enforcers, beating up people if they didn't perform to Bischoff's wishes within three minutes. Um, they won the Observer Award for Worst Tag Team that year, and uh, um, uh, Rosie, Jam- sorry, Jamal slash uh, Umaga slash Eddie was fired in June 2003 after getting in a bar fight. He spent two years in Muto-era All Japan and has singles wins over Toshiaki Kawada, uh, Satoshi Kojima, and Muto himself, all of which surprised me. (laughs) 
uh, before coming back to WWE in April 2006 as Umaga, which apparently means the end in Samoan. And he was put over really strong. So the character is that of a savage who can only be controlled by his manager, in this case, a guy called Armando Alejandro Estrada, but also somehow understands pro wrestling rules, spandex, earrings, and elbow pads, I noticed. <laughs> uh, and, and nice tattoos of flowers in various places on his body. Um, it's it's a real testament, I, I think, to how great of a wrestler he was. Yeah. That like, you know, this is like mid 2000s, right? Like in the 80s, this would have been racist. Absolutely. In the 2000s, it's like we're at the point where everyone should know better than to yeah. do a gimmick like this. Um, but in, in spite of how like awful the gimmick is, really, but he's so great. I was going to say that he later, I say like he, he does like it's not a great hand he's been dealt, but he plays it as best he can. <laughs> Um, mm. so between April, 2006 and new year's revolution, which was January the 7th, 2007, uh, Umaga or usage as my autocorrect has called him in my notes, uh, only lost on TV three times, all by DQ and all to top stars on back to back roars in summer, 2006, he beat John Cena, Shawn Michaels and triple H. So they were pushing him <sighs> big. Um, after this feud with Cena, he became the Intercontinental Champion twice, uh, and he was Vince McMahon's representative, or more accurately, his hair's representative, against Bobby Lashley representing Donald Trump and his hair in the Battle of the Billionaires hair versus hair match at WrestleMania 23 in April 2007. And younger fans, yes, this really happened, and until 2012, it was the most bought WWE pay-per-view in history. Also, it was originally supposed to be Shawn Michaels versus Booker T in that match. Really? Yes, until Shawn Michaels started getting super, super over at the beginning of this year. Um, uh, and then Vince made the decision to, to swap things around. He was also frequently referred to by GM William Regal as Umanga, uh, to the delight of one and all. Uh, and as I mentioned, June 2009, he was released from WWE after refusing to go to rehab, violating the wellness policy for at least the second time. Uh, and then in December that year, he passed away from a heart attack brought on by, and I'm quoting here, an acute toxicity of multiple substances. So again, it's a case of a, a talent who couldn't stay off the stuff, unfortunately, because uh, he's a very talented man. Have either of you seen the build-up to this match at all? I can't remember seeing the build-up, but I think the video package on the version that uh, I saw mm. does a good job of getting over the build-up. The video package does a masterful job because it cuts out the four weeks of shit I watched on Raw that come <laughs> before this. So that video package basically just focuses on Umaga and Cena. But John Cena was messing around with Kevin Federline on the, the New Year's Day Raw. Uh, Jonathan Coachman is involved and there's a four-on-one four handicap match, which is uh, Cena versus Coachman Umaga Armando and Johnny Nitro, which ends oh, in a one minute and 17 second disqualification. Jesus. Um, Cena loses. I think he has five matches between uh, five televised matches, including New Year's Revolution against Umaga. He has five matches on TV and your world champion loses four of them. And one of them is to Kevin Federline, right? Yes. One of them is by pinfall to Kevin Federline. And in a match later on in the month, um, Jonathan Coachman gets a two count on him. It's <laughs> unbelievable. The, um, the, the bill for this It's absolutely terrible. Uh, Mark, we say often 
you know, it's your first time watching the matches the week we record the show. Had you seen this previously? Were you watching WWE at this time? So 2007, I, I probably had a ridiculously short window between starting watching WWE, watching it rapidly, and then falling off. It was probably like a three-year... <laughs> Entirely understandable. It was probably a three-year period because I sort of... I got in around Royal Rumble 2000, and mm-hmm. then it was kind of 0304. Also, I went to university around that point, and, uh, yeah, I was not the kind of student that had Sky TV. Yeah. Uh, at this time... I wasn't watching WWE regularly and I probably didn't watch this at the time, Hmm. but uh, I would have, I definitely remember seeing this within like a year of it happening because it was even for me who was at this time, I was um, a big ring of honor fan. I was starting to get into Japanese wrestling. Hmm. For me, it was like you were hearing, Oh, this is actually a very good John Cena match. Cause Hmm. as, as Eamon was saying, a lot of the the internet wrestling community, to use that terminology, uh, yeah, which is time, everybody these days, which, which is, is everybody, e- these literally days. every wrestling fan, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it wasn't so much those days, but yeah, um, yeah. it was definitely the those questions over: Is Cena a good wrestler? Is mm. he a bad wrestler? Is he just doing what the company line? And I think uh, that became. Um, People appreciate John Cena a lot more now than they did around this the time of this match. So yeah. I definitely sought it out around the time to actually um, see what the fuss is about. And then I've seen it a few times uh, since. So in mm-hmm. fact, I've probably seen this at least five times, which okay. is not going to be the case for a lot of matches. No, that's true. And Eamon, were you an avid uh, watcher at this point in history? I was, yeah. Um, this uh, I was like watching Raw every week at this mm-hmm. point. I was. Um, I remember. I think this pay per view. It was on Sky, but it wasn't on Sky Box Office. I think this was one of the times they had a pay per view on like Sky Sports Three. Because mm. um, like the only one I would ever pay for beyond just like regular paying for Sky was. Um, like WrestleMania, but yeah. otherwise, you know, what, but you'd like once every three months, they'd have a one on uh, Sky Sports, like one or two or three at like 1 a.m. And we were, we were very late in my family to let go of VHS tapes. So yeah. I remember <laughs> recording this on like VHS mm. and watching it the next day and being like just blown away um, because so much of this match, I think, is iconic. And bringing it to school and giving it to my friends and being like, oh, you've got to watch this John Cena match. I swear it's really, really great. Mm. And they would look at me crazy. Like, what are you doing with the VHS tape? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at this point, I think the TV that I had at university, which was probably a year before this, the TV I had at university was a TV VHS combo. And yeah. (laughs) So, uh, the match itself, um, where do we begin? Uh, at the beginning, uh, I love the guy with the last man eating sign who's giving shit to Umaga over the railing during his entrance and absolutely cacks his drawers as soon as Umaga preaches <laughs> in his direction, <laughs> realises he's made a terrible mistake. Um, One quick thing I want to yeah. jump in. One of the things that the video package did, a good point of pointing out, is that while Cena beat Umaga at New Year's Revolution, he had to win via roll-up. So, mm. so in the build-up, they'd made it clear that 
Cena only won because he basically had to use a roll-up, which is not what John Cena does. You know, Cena mm. is the guy, no matter the threat, get them up on the shoulders, attitude adjustment, or F you as it was at the time. Yeah, so, this is pre-attitude. This is pre-PG Cena. So it's still F you yeah. rather than attitude adjustment, and it's still STFU yeah. rather than STF. I rewatched the first match because I was like, oh, I want to you know, get the context as well. Mm. And that match is actually up on YouTube on WWE's channel. Oh, really? And yeah, and it's, that is also great. It's not, it's unfortunate in that it, it lives in the shadow of the one we're here to talk mm. about, but it itself is definitely worth a watch. I would say if people listen to the podcast and then watch the matches, I would definitely recommend them go out of your way to watch the first one as well. It's because like Mark says, like Cena gets nothing in the match. Mm. Any bit of offense he has is a real struggle. He doesn't, he never hits the FU in the match. He does get like the proto bomb kind of blue thunder bomb. Mm. He does. He gets that at one point. That's about the most of it, but it's mostly just him selling for about 18 minutes. And yeah, so you have him scraping by, by the skin of his teeth. And now he's in a match where the stipulation means what worked the last time won't work this time. And also yeah. now he's injured. So he's coming in with a rib injury. So it's even. You know, it's classic. The deck is really stacked against the ace. Yes, absolutely. Um, however, what tips you off that he might win is two weeks ago on Raw, he smacked Umaga on the head with the steps and knocked him out for what appears to be about 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so it's not, the deck isn't 100% stacked against Cena. Yeah. Um, one of the things I like was Armando's job in this match as the manager of Umaga is just to signal to him when to attack and when to stay back uh, so the referee can count. Because otherwise, he would just be mauling Cena constantly. Uh, yeah, I, I will have thoughts on Estrada by the end of this match. <laughs> I have serious thoughts about Estrada in this match. Well, uh, as Eamon said, Cena's got a, a rib injury. I think they called it a spleen injury uh, on TV. <laughs> uh, so the ribs are bandaged, and that's what uh, Umaga attacks. Um Umaga brings the top half of the steps in, uh, but Cena cuts him off as he gets on the apron. And, I mean, pardon my vernacular, just fucks them over the top rope at him. And luckily, um, Umaga got his hands up well in advance. Uh, and I kind of wish they'd used the replay angle live, because on the replay angle, it looks like they smacked him right in the head. Um, it looks dangerous i mean it does look dangerous as hell and if he hadn't got his hands up it would have been but it's a hell of a spot unfortunately it only keeps him down for a five count so it wasn't as effective uh, effective as um cena hoped one thing i do like about cena is he always sells how heavy the steps are yeah watching pick him up he always mm. struggles with them which you know he's got arms the size of my legs so like his physique here he's huge like he could probably pick those things up with one hand, but he doesn't. He always like struggles to get a grip on them and struggles to get his his center of gravity underneath them uh, to make it look like you know they're going to do some serious damage. And it's funny because Umaga has just picked them up and thrown them into the yes. ring, right? He's <laughs> he's just lifted them, and so if you think about it too much, like it's like oh well, we just saw someone else do it and probably do a harder throw, getting it from the outside into the ring. But, but that also potentially puts him over as being stronger than Cena. Yeah, it does. And then you have Cena, like he does this when he sells. It's kind of he puts his knees in a little bit. Mm. It's like his knees sort of bend inwards 
like like to really sort of show this strain and mm. then like slowly lifting the steps above his head um there's a like i said there's a few moments in, the, in this match i think it was kind of like iconic visuals yes and yes. the steps is absolutely one of them it's that's the this, one i've forgotten it, about going in though yeah but it's but you see it and it's like oh holy shit like mm. someone should do this again I, <laughs> I think he did it to bray wyatt actually mm. like years later but it's it's such a crazy visual mm. just very quickly so this was basically the first this was the first bit of offense that cena actually had where mm. he cut off Marxism momentum and before that I, I really loved this because Umaga was completely going for that uh, abdomen. He was throwing great punches. He was constantly cutting. This is the story of the matches for so much of it. Umaga is just cutting off any attempt that Cena has of going on the attack. And mm. that, that injured midsection, they, they do a great job of using that for the early structure. It's a, mm. it's a match that's all about the cutoffs and the hope spots, I think, because mm. um, that's what the crowd go wild for. Um, I mean, until a late on Cena sucks chant, which you didn't hear, I didn't hear at all on any of the TV leading up to this. Like, he was over with everybody until this pay-per-view. Um, like, every time he fires up in this match, the place goes wild for him. <laughs> he was so over. And it's one of those things that you sort of take for granted and forget about now, like just how yeah. popular he was. Um, mm. one of those pops is for Cena avoiding, um, Umaga's, I've called it the ass rush in my notes into the corner. So the steps are propped up, the bottom part of the steps is propped up in the corner. Cena is sat against them and, um, he, I guess it's a more violent version of the stink face. Oh, it's what Tony Storm keeps knocking people out with on, um, uh, on dynamite <laughs> these days, just charging from the other corner and smashing in the head with his backside. So Cena moves yeah. out of the way. Um, Umaga slams into those steps uh, and, like, again, the place goes nuts. Well, um, the, well, the thing with that spot is the way they build to that spot because mm. Umaga gives it enough time for the crowd to realise what's coming and you can really feel the crowd sort of welling up because they're kind of buying into the suspense of it and it just makes the spot so much better that mm. that little period of waiting to sort of whet the appetite Mm. I think as well, it's a great um, bit that sort of symbolizes, I think, this great theme in the match of the offense unit does get in and his hope spots and things like that. They come from him being smarter and being better at using the weapons than Umaga is. There's a lot of times where it feels like Umaga introduces something into the match even like and that that's directly the end of it right is mm. not to skip ahead but it's you know umaga introducing a weapon at the behest of his manager and cena turning out to be better mm. with the weapons right he is at without the heel realizing it he is giving cena these equalizers mm. and it's the rare case where you would say it's kind of cena's brains that are winning this one for him it's not shoulder block shoulder block blue thunder five knuckle shuffle f you da, 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 da. you know it's <laughs> He he is outsmarting the monster here mm. and he's doing it. And every time he gets his opening, he does something more and more outlandish almost to Umaga. And there's a real sense of violence to this match, oh, which yeah. I love. Yeah. And it's it's not something that you necessarily think about with Cena is mm. violence. Yeah. Uh, but it, it they really go for it here. I had totally forgotten about the blood until I rewatched this for this show. Um, speaking of which, one of those outlandish things he tries is an FU 
um, getting the getting Umaga up on his uh, shoulders. He goes to so he's done the like the blue thunder bomb on the steps. He does a do I have to say five knuckle shuffle? Um, <laughs> he falls forward and slaps the mat next to Umaga's head, um, uh, and then gets him up on his shoulders for for the fu onto the steps. But uh, because of the rib injury and because of Umaga's size, he falls forward uh, and crushes his head between the steps and Umaga. And he goes down in the V shape that goes around the ring post and comes up caked in blood. Mm. Um, again, it's, it's a crazy blade job. It's so it, it is the blade job of a man that, you know, learned from Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> <laughs> having, having watched uh, the, the January roars, uh, this is, I'm not joking, at minimum, the 11th blade job of the month on the Raw Black brand. Jesus. There is so much blood all over that show. Oh, Randy Orton at New Year's Revolution. So one of the ep- the episode after New Year's Revolution, they show a, a pay-per-view recap video, but it's all about the Racist RKO versus DX match. And Randy Orton gigs so much. It, like It's like the Eddie Guerrero JBL match. It's everywhere and then he comes out on raw the next night and i'm not kidding his gig gash is two inches long on his forehead it's disgusting um so um yeah so i counted between four episodes of raw a new year's revolution recap video of that match a recap of rated rko attacking rick flair i think at the end of december I counted 10 blade jobs plus Sean cut his nose hard way in a brawl and they did an angle with Hacksaw Jim Duggan using fake blood and then seeing his head in this match too. It's so just, this is January in the promotion the kids watch, you know, and just on Raw, I don't even know what was going on on SmackDown or ECW at this point because they had uh, those two brands were also active. Yeah, it's just, and as I said, this isn't even the biggest blade job of the month. It's crazy. So, back to the match. Um, they they get into a strike path, strike battle, and this is where the place really goes crazy for Cena firing up because he's begging Umaga to hit him, mm. punches his own cut, which again people go young girls. It sounds like go crazy for the pit. The, I the, I was going crazy for it. Yeah. Like two days ago watching this match. Yeah. I mentioned like these iconic visuals. I think that's another one is Cena punching himself in the head to fire himself up and just sort of screaming while he's dripping blood. Yeah. And then he gets like one of the gnarliest Samoan drops I've oh, ever seen. It should have torn his arm off. Like if you don't have arms the size of John Cena, like you are definitely dislocating your shoulder on that. He gets dropped yeah. right on it at a horrible angle. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, Umaga, uh, well, Jamal didn't last long uh, first time around, was he got a reputation for being reckless and hurting people. And mm. he was booked, I think, in the 2003 Royal Rumble to uh, to take a stink face from Rikishi as punishment for injuring people. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we get to the bit I don't like. Umaga is slumped over the middle turnbuckle with his head against the ring post. And Cena allegedly sandwiches his head with a TV monitor. He didn't. He'd be dead. Well, he is dead, but like not from that spot. Yeah. Uh, it's like that's the bit where it becomes a cartoon and you have to kind of, I don't know, you can either dwell on it or you can hand wave it for the rest of a good match, I think. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, this is where it's like it becomes a comic book. I, that's the moment where I thought this is Superman versus Doomsday, but Superman gets to win. 
<laughs> in this context, then, is Roman Reigns like Kid Metropolis, or <laughs> <laughs> who's who's the cyborg? Is the Miz the cyborg Superman? If we want to go down this rabbit hole, um, I, I'd say that Bray Wyatt's a parasite. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> um, oh, oh God. I I would do this all night. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't mind it too much. The the monitor spot. I think the actual yeah like strike itself is very. Oh look at this movie magic. Um, it's, it's but one, I do one of the points where WWE's usually dodgy camera work really helps them. I think yeah. because yeah. every angle they show of it, like it's masked by the post or Cena's body, mm. so you can't mm. see he just hits the post. I, I do think though the the shot of him holding up the monitor both sort of before and mm. afterwards I think those are really strong. It's another one and, you're putting on the show reel for this match. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and like in a match full of them, I think this is this is mm. another one. Like definitely. Yeah. The, the the next big thing is the next iconic part of this match uh, where Umaga up almost immediately after being banged over the head with a TV apparently. <laughs> Um, Lean Cena over the ECW announced desk. So they had three commentary tables. There were nine commentators work this damn show. <laughs> Not all at once, thankfully. Um, Lean Cena uh, over the announced desk uh, and then runs along the other two desks, leaps high in the air and crashes through the ECW desk as Cena moves out of the way. Like, as soon as I knew we were doing this match, that was the first vision in my head was that spot. Mm. And I think he, yeah. he did it again in a different match, right? But I can't remember. I think which. he did it. He think he did it a few times. It, yeah. I think it's a great testament to how athletic Umaga was. Oh yeah, he could. He's mm. a he's, big lad and he can move. He is. He's so light on his feet. Like his footwork mm. is so great. There's a, there was a bit. It's a really minor bit in the match that mm. stood out to me was the first cutoff to the ribs where he kind of drops to one knee and hits Cena in the stomach, but he gets down and up so fast. Like there's no strain or like effort it seems mm. to get up and down he's so smooth he also does a spinning wheel kick like he's hooving to Guerrera like in the first couple of minutes of the match and, like again he's too big to be doing that kind of thing one of my favorite things in wrestling is a is either a good spinning wheel kick or a good big guy doing a spinning wheel kick mm. like when when Hiroshi Hiroshi Tenzan is on and hitting those things I'm popping every time <laughs> back when he could still move <laughs> Yeah. Back yeah. when he had the ankles for it. Yeah. <laughs> Back when he had ankles. <laughs> um, Umaga is just up before the 10 count after this, uh, but uh, both Jim Ross and a lot of the crowd thought it was a 10 because of how Mike Kyoda does his signal for, for no, no, he's up. Um hmm. They get back in the ring just as Armando uses a big wrench to undo the top rope in one corner. So Umaga can use the turn block as a weapon turnbuckle as a weapon even here's my mm. big plot hole why not just give him the wrench that's what i was gonna blame yes, right it's a metal object it's the same the... size yes. as the turnbuckle <laughs> yes and it's not attached to 40 feet of rope so it'd be much easier to swing around <laughs> i could understand it if they if like if wwf wwe used um hooks to hold the ropes but they don't they use a, like a closed off buckle so it could be like, oh, you know, get the hook and dig him in the head with the hook. No, it's not. Just give him the bloody wrench. I mean, if you wanted to do that spot, I mean, it's probably a bit hard to jerry-rig it uh, or to put it together. But have Umaga go for another one of those corner charges mm. and rig it so that the top rope goes. Yeah. 
Yeah, be cool. a more uh, natural way of doing it. Kind of like the Big Show Lesnar. <laughs> yeah, say paging Rampage Brown doesn't he have a past history of doing that? Um, <laughs> you definitely like you need it for the finish, mm. right? You need the ropes to go, and I guess like right in kayfabe, if we're, if we're to work with the very like pretty racist character of Umaga, but in fiction, right? Um, Estrada's trying to get him to do the sp- Samoan spike, but with mm. the turnbuckle. And so I, I guess, like, if you want to no prize this away, maybe that's easier to do it with a turnbuckle <laughs> than it would be just with a wrench. Get find him a screwdriver. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, listen, it's no disqualification. Although John Cena's been stabbed before, oh, so who yeah. knows if a screwdriver would be enough? Yeah. <laughs> My big issue with Estrada simply is if you look at most of the turning points when Cena comes back that isn't involving raw power. Is because Estrada is telling Umaga the wrong thing. If anything, Umaga loses because Estrada repeatedly cocks up the 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 calls. He does, yeah. And I love that. I I I kind of I love it as a story, mm. right? That it's it's great to see how people win, but it's also great sometimes to see why does a wrestler lose mm. in a match? Mm. And you you see it here. There's a reason. Estrada misreading the situation and misreading the strengths of his wrestler creates these openings for Cena, but then Cena is smart enough to be able to fully leverage it, um, especially with mm. the end here. Uh, and that, I guess, is the end is the uh, the last of the iconic shots that Aim has been talking about. So uh, Umaga goes to to use to his his new weapon. Uh, Cena pops up, uh, hits the fu. Whacks Umaga with the buckle and traps him in a rope-assisted STFU with a rope around his neck. And the image of Cena screaming, bleeding, and pulling the rope tight around the neck. Mm. Like that's the that's the other thing like I remembered before watching this, other than the splash, was that image. And unlike today's um WWE director, he's not cutting to 90 camera angles. They just leave it on mm. that one shot for a good 10 to 20 seconds. So it really, it really burns in. Um, and then, uh, just to finish this off, um, Cena gets off so the ref can start counting, but Umaga starts to move. So he gets right back on uh, and does it again. So more screaming, more bleeding, more pulling of the rope. Uh, and this time, when he gets off, the referee does his 10 count and it's all over. Um, do we think that the, the going back a second time takes the wind out of the crowd sails at all? A little bit. I I get why they do it mm. because they want to protect Umaga a little bit more, which is yeah, it's, actually it's the final layer of protection on it before they beat him. But but mm. I definitely think it probably would have got a bit of a bigger pop if it had been it. Mm. You're also. I think he gets up a little fast. Yes is maybe yeah. the point i think because he gets up almost as cena is oh, getting yeah, it's up. like three by like by three or four he's on his hands and knees yeah yeah, yeah if it had been a bit of a slower rise because mm. it, it is like kind of like a michael myers situation mm. where he keeps if getting it had up been a slow rise another fu mm. then the rope choke as well it'll probably get a bigger pop yeah the other thing is per the rules yeah. of the match you're going from a from what's a submission hold to a standing 10 count which is which is going to take its time it's not like it's a mm. it's a big stunt followed by the 10 count or it's like a standard pinfall or anything mm. like that i mean i'm saying all this but the play still goes mad, mad again at the 10 count so mission accomplished 
Like, everybody comes out of this yep. looking good. It's a great, great match. Like, I've been kind of taking the piss a bit. Like, my nitpicks are very minor. Like, it's a great, it's a great structured brawl that Cena would turn out to be very good at, I think. And, like, so many of, like, future Cena ma- like, matches in this, let's say, genre mm. do end in big sort of spectacle mm. bumps or, you know, he pulls a lever and a lot of chairs fall down on Wade Barrett or whatever. <laughs> um, but in this one, it's, yeah, it's just something very straightforward, very violent, mm. very, I know it's tactile, the word I want to use here in a way, but like you can, you can imagine what that feels like to a manga. Yes. It's very, mm. you know, there's, there's so much things in wrestling you see that you, you know, I don't know what, hopefully I will never know what it feels like to take a Canadian destroyer, yeah. right? <laughs> hopefully no one will do a, a shoot Canadian destroyer thing yeah. in life. But everyone has a rough idea of at least what it feels like to not be able yeah. to breathe. You've got your scarf trapped in a door or something. or Yeah. Yeah. And and this is such an extreme mm. version of that with like two ropes by a guy who's massive, massive mm. biceps, mm. like squeezing his hand as hard as he can. And I kind of love that he just goes right back to work when he sees Amaga getting mm. up. And it, there's this kind of like a like a workman quality to Cena uh, in that he's kind of he's here to do he's here to do a job and kind of he sees it going up and it's like all right I'm just going to get mm. back to work and it's also like if I don't pounce now I might not get another chance exactly he, he there's no margin for error he's he's had to play like a perfect match mm. all time right because if he doesn't take advantage of these openings we've talked about he's done um. But he's he's finally found the thing that's going to work, but and so he just needs to go back yeah. to it again. So it's again, it's like really simple, but it also makes sense. And there's a great call by Jr. where I think he says something like, "Even a monster needs to breathe." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this is this is how you win this. Mm. So yeah, I I love the finish. I I think the thing about this match, because again, I really love this match. It's probably going to be like. It's one of those sort of like late 2010 WWE matches that I remember really enjoying and that I always enjoy. Mm. And part of it is th- this is perfect for playing into Cena's strengths, both as a performer and as a character. Mm. It's it's about that determination. It's about the guts, the never say die. It's, it's the never give up armband, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It, yeah. This is... I think this is the formula that uh, Cena was looking for. So one of the weird bits, I was having a look around this, and in 2007, Cena got six four-star matches from Meltzer. And mm. I think if you actually look at like things like Meltzer ratings or cage match ratings, the, 2007 felt like the year where people were finally giving uh, Cena his, uh, his praise. It was like, yeah, no... He kind of really worked out this is what works for him. And then over the years, he uh, he goes and runs with it. And I think if you look at just like ratings from the likes of Meltzer, this was like his most successful year in terms of critical praise, except for that 2015 uh, Cena indie run, if you remember that kind of gimmick. <laughs> the springboard stunner year. Yeah. Yes. Yes, where he discovered something he wasn't good at, but kept doing it anyway. <laughs> It was great. It was like when a dog learned a trick, you know? <laughs> it was like, oh, he can't really... It's like Cena doing indie moves is kind of like trying to watch like a dog do math, where he can't really do it, but it's, it's very endearing to watch him try. <laughs> so uh, I'll go to you, Eamon. Um, if this match has a lasting legacy, what do you think it is? 
I think it's I think it's etched partially just in the minds as one of the big Cena matches. Mm. Um in terms of there's the ones that come to mind. The Punk match, Money in the Bank is always going to be one. The Lesnar match is always going to be in the conversation. Mm. Both you know, the squash and the 2012 match, where he gets you know the Lesnar return match, which mm. is actually in some ways quite comparable to this one. Yes, I showed that to a non. I showed that to a non fan, and she went wild for it. She, so she ended up getting into wrestling, and the two things she liked were small flippy guys and Lesnar beating the piss and blood out of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we we can we compared this match right to uh, um, Superman versus Doomsday, and that Lesnar match was more like the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, so God, I'm giving it to Jesus. <laughs> it's um, this is what happens when you bring an Irish person on, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think so. I think that's part of it, right? Is just mm. a naturally great match and. It being a great example as well of something which I don't think we see quite enough of. We see a lot of big man versus small man matches in mm-hmm. wrestling. That's a really common trope. And whereas this is big man, but it just against kind of bigger man. Slightly or it's big man, man against yes. monster. Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. like it's 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 the difference between say Rey Mysterio versus Big Show and Sting versus Vader. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Sting versus Vader is probably the historical like a uh, mm. reference point for this match i would say mm. where it's not see, like cena is like completely overpowered necessarily like in the sense that like oh can he do anything at all right it's like he's not weak here it's just it's a very tough road he has to hoe. Mm. Yeah. um so I, I think there's like a really nice subtle difference in the structure of this match and it's a little rarer so i think it's a great one to show there mm. and then in terms of other things to compare this match to I think in some ways I was thinking about the Triple H Cactus Jack match from Royal Rumble 2000. Now, I was going to mention this, not necessarily that match in particular, but this is like, this is very similar to the Mick Foley beats the shit out of a baby face and makes, and turns him into a hard man match, like he did with Randy Orton, mm. like he did with Edge. He had that run of like making guys in a hardcore style match. And I wonder if Foley had been around at the time, would this have been him rather than Eddie Fatu? Mm. I think it would have been something similar. I think if like if this was a Foley match, I think you'd have a lot of people cheering for Mick, whereas yeah. people aren't really cheering mm. as much for Umaga, mm. which I think definitely helps here as well. And mm. um, no one, no one wants to root for the for the racist caricature, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think that's another part of it as well. Like yeah, it is definitely comparable though to those Mick Foley matches where he elevates people. And mm. like Cena's already a made man at this point, you know, yeah. he's main evented mm. a couple of manias. He's going to main event another one in a couple of months with Michaels. But this adds a level of grit to Cena, which was maybe not there in quite the same way. It gives him, it gives him an edge. Like he's not yeah. just, he is, I think this is, he is not just someone for the kids to cheer for. It's cool for their dads to cheer for him too now. Yeah. Yeah, ex- yeah. exactly. That's it. It's, it is giving sort of an excuse for the older people to like him as well. Yeah. Mm. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, well he's doing like violence here. Yeah. He's doing this like bloody brawl, which like, God, can you imagine this happening in WWE today? Even <laughs> as like, I know we just had like Cody Rhodes in a, with like a crazy internal bleeding or whatever, but mm. 
the like there's a certain violence to this like i can't imagine mm. wwe doing like the rope choke again no you know no like something like that like, well just, I you can't know imagine you're, you're wearing the t-shirt of a man who got five doing something very similar so that's true i am wearing a brian danielson t-shirt um <laughs> as we record this yes. um i wanted to make i wanted to make sure i looked my best for coming on a an audio podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no 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 choking no ties wwe's absolutely wins or not yeah <sighs> um, horrible but, joke worst one i've done on the podcast <laughs> and i'm owning it Absolutely dreadful. So getting back to the match, Mark, anything else you want to add about it? Uh, again, it's, I, I've said it's perfect formula, Cena, that stands out. But also it's like, it's a match that everyone has good memories about Eddie Fatu. Mm. Because whenever he, you, he elevates himself in this match as well. Oh, he, this match is not as good as it is without him. It's like, yeah. he does a great job uh both psychologically you know he works the match well he has the big moments well he mm. generally except for that bit right near the end sells well mm. so it's i i think it's rare that you get these guys that normally would feel like just um like trivia kind of guys you know the do things but never have that big moment it's nice to actually see someone have that big signature moment that in the guy's career it's like everyone has nice things to say yeah um and as for cena like he has his detractors and there was definitely a time where he was not good at all but he's <laughs> as i mentioned he's really good at this type of match mm. um i don't know who his agent slash producer was at this point um but like this fits the 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 big the big match john formula very well i think and like while he's never mechanically the best you can't argue he's a great storyteller even mm. if sometimes he's yelling that story at his opponent loud enough for all the microphones to pick up yeah, yeah. it's he's, he's not always maybe a subtle storyteller it's the you know what's the quote i know writers that use subtexts and they're all cowards yes yeah um like Goth john Marini. cena is a lot of things I, I would say at least in this context i would not say he is a coward uh, <laughs> in terms of subtext and subtlety it's it's a very much um what you see is what you get with cena in this match um, yeah and we'll be we'll be looking at cena again many 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 months down the line on this podcast uh i'm presuming this is the only appearance of uh mr eddie fatu in any of his yeah. guises, I don't imagine Rosie and Jamal are on this list anywhere. Uh, yes, I don't believe they are. <laughs> now, if if this was uh, must-watch segments, I'm sure the Billy and Chuck wedding yes. would be in number one with a bullet. And, and we get the uh, Bishop so, and some the people, Some people ride. wish that segment had a bullet. <laughs> it is uh it is so it, it definitely has its problems, but that segment is one of the best reveals there has ever been on wrestling television i think it's it's insane it is yeah. what eric bischoff the reveal of eric bischoff is like you know in an anime where someone does like a dramatic decloaking yeah. and it's just a completely different body shape yeah. does not match with like whatever yeah. hooded figure you had before yeah. that is what eric B eric bischoff yeah. does a real life version of that it's a, it's a just, freeze frame there's anime lines behind him like his his mask is yeah. flapping in the wind in his clenched fist yeah yeah <laughs> Eamon, thank you so much for coming and talking about this match with us today it's been a pleasure and it's absolutely flown by um the floor is yours is there anything you'd like to plug um yeah you can find me on twitter at no more mutants that's um underscored in between 
and let me see i i don't do any podcasts or anything like that so i don't have too much to plug and at christmas sometimes i do a wrestling match secret santa so you can look forward to that in about six months <laughs> um so set your set the calendars now i guess for that um but no i think this is all i have um what i will plug is people should uh rate and review the must see matches podcast because i think this is a very good podcast oh thank you very much uh, thank you very five much. Stars, please we don't want to slip down the charts too much yeah Write uh, whatever you want, but give them the five stars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I used to do a movie podcast, and someone in a review once called me a budget Simon Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Fair enough. Hey, it, it, it's not anywhere as bad as a Tesco value Ricky hype, which to this day is the <laughs> best insult I've ever heard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... As for us on this show, we have a link tree. It is linktr.ee slash matches, and that gives you links to this project's Twitter, my Twitter, Mark's Twitter, all the ways to subscribe to the show. Thank, uh, hopefully you're using one of them now. Mark's writings for post-wrestling uh, and our other podcast, DD Teach. Speaking of which, we put out a new episode of that about 10 days ago, profiling excellent Harashima, so check that out. Next week is something uh, I, for one, have been looking forward to um, since we got the schedule together for this show our first dive into japanese women's wrestling joshi pro wrestling expert sarah parkin will be here to guide us through the classic jigusa nagayo versus dump matsumoto hair versus hair death match from august 28th 1985 thank you again to Aima for joining us today thank you to mark as always and thank you to you for listening we'll catch you next monday bye